You are listening to Local Voices, a community podcast produced by the Echo newspaper, which takes a deep dive into the news that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Hayden Moore. What you're listening to is a clip from episode 24 of the Local Voices podcast titled, Are You Winter Ready? To hear the full thing, visit echo.ie forward slash podcasts or type in Local Voices into whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Dr. Ashton Nihulavon is a general practitioner and one of the founders of Swiftbrook Medical Center in City West. Thanks very much for your time, Ashton. No problem at all. Good to talk to you, Aiden. I know we're kind of coming into that winter season where there's going to be loads of flus and other kind of things going around. But have you, like, have you seen the numbers of people visiting the GP drop in recent weeks or since the beginning of COVID, really? Certainly, there was a massive drop off in the initial phases, March, April and May last year. There were very high case numbers. Uh, We were fairly overwhelmed. And uh, I think people just vanished, actually. All non-COVID stuff just disappeared from practice. And paradoxically, it actually got a bit quieter in practice as a result. People were, you know, avoiding us. They were afraid to come in. Um, They didn't want to be in an environment, a healthcare environment in general. And so there was a huge drop off. And then from about June and July, COVID cases really declined over the summer and we had a lot more breathing space to to kind of look at the non-COVID work. And that has really come back over the last number of months. And now we're in a situation where we've quite, we've lots and lots of non-COVID work and delayed people are presenting with maybe quite complex things that they delayed coming with. And uh, so when you do see somebody, there's often quite there might be a number of issues to cover in the consultation. And then you have all the COVID work on top of that. So it it is certainly the busiest time I've ever seen in practice. But we are I'm I am concerned. And I think it's been said a number of times, all GPs, we are concerned about the people we're not seeing that there are probably a group of people out there who maybe haven't been coming to their GP with symptoms that they're maybe a little bit worried about. And one of the things I would like to get across to you is that coming to your GP is a really safe place at the moment. We have really good systems in place. You aren't at high risk by coming into a general practice surgery uh, if if needs be. The systems will be different compared to what they would have been previously. But if you are worried about your health care, you know, you need to get in contact with us. That's one of the main things that I wanted to talk to you about is because obviously people out there are a little bit more concerned about contacting their GP and visiting their GP. Is the process still the same? We're going to visit your GP as it was prior to COVID-19 in this country. Uh, no, I would. in most practices, it's not. So, uh, you know, each practice is slightly different and, and they're all run in a slightly different way. But, for example, a lot of GPs prior to COVID would have had a, a walk in clinic for maybe an hour or two in the morning where anyone could just turn up and arrive in and to see the GP with maybe one problem in and out. And they're pretty much gone everywhere. So it, almost nobody is allowed to just walk into a practice without an appointment. Um, and then the other big change is that generally you'll be triaged remotely by phone first. So you might and we can do we can do an awful lot over the phone so in our own practice what we do is when patients ring they are assigned a telephone consultation first and the doctor will speak to them go through it as normal and then make a decision as to whether they need a face-to-face appointment as well or whether we can deal with the whole problem over the phone and certain problems are really well suited to be dealt being dealt with over the phone so you may not actually have to come in at all 
um, and particularly mental health problems can often be dealt with by phone. You know, if clinical examination isn't going to add very much in that situation. But if you have a skin problem, sometimes you can send us a photo of that by email and we can then look at the photo and deal with it over the phone. Or we might say, no, I need to see that. So things like abdominal pain nearly always have to come in gynecology problems have to come in a lot of skin problems will have to come in as well so it really depends on your problem so if you need to be seen by the doctor you definitely will be but probably after a phone call first and that also reduces the contact time then when you come in if I've taken most of the history over the phone I don't have to then spend another 10 minutes with you doing the history because the history is what gives us the most information as doctors it's it's not the examination that's usually to confirm what we think is going on on the basis of the history so if I've done all that over the phone, I then only need to have maybe five or 10 minutes with you in the consultation. And that reduces everyone's risk because obviously close contact is, is under 50, is more than 15 minutes. So we try and keep the time with patients in the room under 15 minutes. What kind of challenges does it pose then if people who may have health concerns are just not going to the GP? The biggest thing is delayed diagnosis. If, you know, potentially what we worry an awful lot about is, is potentially serious illness that's not being diagnosed. And, and obviously cancers and things like that would always be a worry. And the reality is that for the vast majority of people who are sitting at home who may have a lump or a symptom that's new, like a change in their bowel habit or blood in their stool or a lump in their breast or whatever it might be, most of the time they don't turn out to be cancer. And a huge part of what GPs do is providing reassurance to people with a symptom that actually I think this is not cancerous. But equally, you might have to have a scan or a referral or a review or a blood test or something to look into it before we can make that decision. So we worry a lot about delayed diagnoses of serious illness. And then I suppose even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be cancer, but if you have mental health problems that you're not dealing with or you've stopped taking your medication because your GP said you needed a blood pressure check and you haven't come in to get it and now you haven't got a repeat prescription, you know, that's not good for your long-term health and you mightn't have any symptoms from that at the moment. But if you aren't managing your diabetes well or, you know, you aren't even, if you were used to always maybe getting an annual blood test because you're on maybe one or two medications, that's an opportunity for your GP to screen you for things like diabetes that maybe it would be important to identify. So even less serious illnesses can get more problematic if they're not managed. If you're not looking after somebody's cardiovascular health, maybe they're not going to, uh, you know, maybe they run the risk of uh, of being at higher risk of a, of a mini stroke or, or a stroke, you know, down the line. And at this point in time, people were given the benefit of the doubt for the last six months and you might have got a prescription sent to your pharmacy without a review. But now we're getting to the point where we're kind of bringing people in and saying, well, look, you haven't had bloods now in 18 months and we really need to check your kidney function or see how you're, um, you know, or we want to see you to do a blood pressure check and make sure that your control is as good as it used to be. I just wanted to ask you then, in, in your average year, like last year and the years before, would you have found that the numbers of people visiting the GP would typically go up over the winter months? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, we didn't have it this year. We normally get a lovely quiet time in the middle of the summer when people are away and on their holidays and there's less, you know, it's it, we're, we're away, but we don't need to replace the doctor who's on holidays. And that, that didn't happen this year. But um, in terms of the winter months, you know, there is always that 
thing when the kids go back in September that you start to, ste to steal yourself for the for what's coming over the winter. And um, particularly after Christmas, January, February, March, there are big times people get together at Christmas and pass their diseases around. So we get big spikes in infectious illness, like head colds, influenza, uh, often around January. But influenza season will start from November, uh, December. So we'll start to see increasing cases over the next couple of months. And with the added pressure of COVID-19, then on top of that, mm -hmm. on top of the colds and the flus and the diseases, is that a, a main concern of yourself going into the winter months? I suppose. Or in terms of just, sorry, just in terms of like yeah. the, the system being overwhelmed. Um, It is a worry. Um, But I think people, the problem is that you know for most of what we see will be viral illness so you know huge proportion of what we see in that situation is viral illness but right now the amount you know if you have a virus there's a six percent chance it's covid and we don't want to miss the chance of catching that so even if your symptoms are mild or you think oh no it couldn't be covid if you have a fever a cough a new illness um you know you should pick up the phone to your gp and talk to them about it you know it, it it's, it can take a small phone call can determine whether we need to refer you for a test or not and then we can you know a lot of it then is self-management you know that's very straightforward but then you know it's it's almost it is impossible really to distinguish between something like influenza and covid and um, they have very similar symptoms or can have very similar symptoms most covid is very mild we've lots of asymptomatic infection we see loads of people by that i mean there's lots of people going around who get tested for COVID and it turns out they're positive, but they have had absolutely no symptoms. So it doesn't have to be a serious illness. But flu and COVID are very difficult to distinguish between. So anyone with those kind of symptoms is going to get a COVID test or we advise to have a COVID test, but you can eliminate your chance of having influenza by getting vaccinated. So that's why there's such a massive drive for that this year, not just to reduce the incidence of influenza in, in terms of helping to distinguish it from COVID, but also to reduce the people who get severe influenza and the complications of that and need hospitalization um, and an increased uh, healthcare uh, intervention. That was actually something when I was uh, preparing to have a chat with you. I looked up the flu and I was looking at the symptoms and it's literally like, when you're on paper, they're just the exact same as the COVID symptoms, like the te yeah. high temperature, the dry cough and the headaches, the fatigue, the sore throat. Yeah, it, they, they are clinically impossible to distinguish. To be honest, when you look at, you know, looking historically at patients I've seen with influenza in previous years and looking at the patients I've, I've encountered with COVID over the last six months, influenza is a far worse illness for most people. It just doesn't have that for most young people who get influenza, they aren't at risk of serious complications like they are with COVID. COVID's a really unusual, really interesting disease in a, in a scientific way, but but it's just so unpredictable. You know, you've people with absolutely no symptoms who can, and then you've people who have a very mild illness, and then you have people who can be young and fit and otherwise healthy who can be quite, you know, really sick with it. And then obviously you've got really vulnerable groups like our older patients who are at very high risk of hospitalization with COVID and, and, and death. Even though most people, even in, you know, we've had, I look after a nursing home when we did have cases uh, earlier this year and lots of our older patients, age 70 and even 80, they, they contracted COVID and survived. So it isn't, it isn't a death sentence for people in that age group, but they are so much more likely to have serious complications. So, you know, we do want to minimise the cases in the community to protect them. I wanted to ask you then as well, what actually is influenza? Because I've I seen that there's actually different strains of the flu. 
Uh, there are. So influenza is a group of viruses. Um, the influenza viruses, there's influenza B, um, influenza A. There are, one of the ways we categorize them is by the proteins that stick out of the virus at a, at a tiny molecular level. There's um, the H's and the N's that stick out of the virus and that will characterize the, the type of virus it is. But it's one that mutates very frequently. So that's why we have to have a new vaccine every year. And the vaccine is kind of, a, it is a best guess in some ways. So they look at Australia, we're very fortunate that we're in the second wave of flu in, in the year. So Australia has their flu first. And um, so there are huge committees around the world collaborating and they look at what are the most likely flu viruses to emerge this year. So there's nearly always a H1N1 version in it. This year's vaccine has four viruses, protection against the four main likely viruses. And um they sort of predict what are most likely to be the viruses in circulation in the community and they're the ones that go into the vaccine and so the vaccine will give you very good protection against those four but equally if the virus mutates a bit having the vaccine will give you partial protection against whatever vaccine you whatever flu you might encounter so then you mightn't get as serious an illness or you might just get milder symptoms than you would have done if you weren't vaccinated as well as the protection against the kind of more virulent strains that are expected in the virus in the vaccine and i suppose that's kind of different from covid then because we, mm. we're hearing so much about how covid um doesn't correlate with the weather but mm. the f flu season does doesn't it it, it does correlate very with the much in the weather. yeah it's a, it's a seasonal uh infection and it hits in the winter and we can very clearly define the flu season as beginning in sort of november coming into the into december and being over in april and and you it's not that you can't get flu at other times of the year but it doesn't transmit as easily. It doesn't survive as well. So you can still occasionally see somebody with flu in May or June, but it, it's very unusual. And uh, whereas it transmits much more readily in the winter months in the colder weather. And then there's also sociological reasons for that in that we tend to be indoors more in the winter. We congregate more or we might have a runny nose. So our nasal passages are a little bit more inflamed. So it's easier for a virus to gain entry into them. Um, but but flu is very much a seasonal disease that that exists in winter for the most part. Actually, just coming to my mind now that you might think this is a ridiculous question. There's no ridiculous questions. <laughs> but I have to ask you, is the man flu actually a real thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's any good answer to that question. You're only going to get scathed by somebody. Um, uh, I think... Uh, no, I, 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 I don't. I must look up the evidence behind it and see is there actually evidence for it. So I think I think anyone can be. You know, people have different tolerance levels for symptoms, and I think some people will have a bit of a bigger whinge about it than others. Whether whether that's a, that whether that's a, can be gendered at all, I'm not sure. <laughs> I should talk to my husband about it and see <laughs> see what he thinks. I get the mantle every year. <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, you poor thing. Your poor partner. <laughs> um, right. So I just wanted to ask you then. Coming back to the normal flu. <laughs> sure. Who who should be getting the flu vaccine? Oh, most people. Um. So there are a number of at-risk groups. So this year, the flu, we can broadly split it into kids and adults. But this year, influenza vaccine has been offered to all children under the age of 12, age of 18. So from 2 to 12 years of age, they'll get the um, nasal vaccine. And from 13 to 18, they get the injection. And that is because it's known that children are the biggest spreaders of flu. 
and equally COVID is massively disruptive. Um, not COVID, COVID symptoms are incredibly disruptive in this age group at the moment. So even my, two of my own kids had to be tested for COVID about two weeks ago because they were coughing, even though clinically uh, and in terms of their risk factors, I was like, this probably isn't COVID. But look, they are interacting with kids. They're in, they go to their football game or their football practice or they go, they're in school. So we got them tested and the system worked really well for us. And I, we were all only out of circulation for two days, but that's two days out of school for my kids. And if they get influenza, they're going to be out of school even longer. So, uh, you know, it's another viral illness they can pick up. So, uh, you know, that's a big reason to have them vaccinated. But, but mainly it's because they're big vectors of disease. Children spread influenza really easily. Um, and then there are in the adult groups, there are and in children groups, but vulnerable people. So over 65s and then re pregnant women uh, and then anyone with who's at higher risk. So people with a high body mass index, so particularly over a body mass index over 40 um, and then anyone with a chronic medical condition. So any heart disease, um, any lung problems, asthma, uh, chronic obstructive lung disease, sort of smoking related lung diseases, people with MS, neurological conditions, children with anyone with Down syndrome, children or adults or any chronic neurological condition, developmental disorders. And the other big group would be carers. So if you within a family have someone in your household who's vulnerable, be it an older relative or a younger person with a with a chronic medical condition, it's really important that the other people in that household are vaccinated not just their primary carer, but but the other people living in that household to try and protect that person and cocoon them a little bit from being exposed to the vaccine, exposed to the virus. And they could be back and they should be vaccinated themselves. That goes without saying. But, you know, large groups. The difficulty this year will be for people in the maybe 19 to 64 year old age group who have no other medical conditions. Obviously, it's great that they don't have any other medical conditions. But it's very hard to source extra vaccine for them at the moment. So that that if you know if you can access it through your pharmacy or your GP, if they have enough stock left over. But at the moment, a lot of GPs are prioritizing those vulnerable groups, the children, the adults with other issues and carers, because it's really important to get them uh, protected. Do you feel like this year in particular, it's, it's more important for people to get the flu vaccine? Uh, I do. Uh, again, mainly for the reasons I've outlined that it, it helps us eliminate flu as a as an issue in terms of differentiating symptoms between whether somebody has influenza and COVID. Not that the vaccine gives you 100% protection, but obviously you're less likely to get influenza if you've had the vaccine, but also to reduce the burden on our hospitals and our healthcare services, on our GPs, on our on taking kids out of school with influenza when they're already out so much with every little sniffle or head cold that they get, you know, children are spending a lot more time out of school and that's not good for them. So um, yeah, more than ever. And I have really seen in our own practices, we've seen massive requests, massive demand this year, our flu vaccine clinics booked out really quickly. We have waiting lists for our next delivery of flu vaccines when they're coming in. But we have been assured that there will be enough and that over that, you know, we are getting deliveries every two weeks. So even if you, your GP can't fit you in this time, they'll probably be having another flu vaccine clinic in another week or two that they can get you into. Or you might be able to get one in your pharmacy in the meantime. I was going to say, Dr. Ashton Nihulavon, it's been a pleasure to have a chat with you about all this. No problem at all. Anytime. Don't forget, this interview was part of a bigger episode of Local Voices. To listen to the full thing, visit echo.ie forward slash podcasts or type in Local Voices into your streaming platform of choice.